You know, more than likely, many of us at one time or another have put our trust in Christ in some way and trusted in Him and made a decision to follow Him no matter what. It might have been at your conversion experience when you first trusted Christ for your salvation, and you began that remarkable journey of faith and trust in God, and you determined to follow Him. It might have been when you had to make a difficult decision. You prayed about it. You asked God to lead you. And if you made the right decision and you did what God wants you to do, you soon discovered that the road ahead was tougher than you thought it might be. It might even have involved some painful experiences. Uh, maybe you experienced a life-changing event, event, the change of a job, the loss of a job, the change of a career or lifestyle. Or you made some changes and sacrifices for your own sake or the sake of your family. When you put your faith and trust in God and you choose to obey Him, as you get into it and you get down the road and it gets tough, how do you know that you're really doing what God wants you to do? How do you know that you are where God wants you to be? When the path gets tough, there are obstacles. How do you know you're on the right path? These are the kind of questions that would have been asked by a young woman named Mary from a town in Nazareth. Mary received the most unimaginable, the most humanly impossible news. Even though she was a virgin, by way of the Holy Spirit, she would conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Yeshua, Jesus, which means the Lord is our salvation. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High, and he will be the Messiah who will reign on the forever throne of David. And Mary responded to the news the angel Gabriel gave her with absolute faith and determined obedience. She said, Behold, I am the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. I want us to think about for a moment what Mary's obedience could potentially cost her. She was betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph. That betrothal period lasted a full year, could only be broken by divorce. And if the bride was found guilty of infidelity during that time, she could be stoned to death. Mary's reputation for just being pregnant out of wedlock, as it were, with, in the community, her reputation would be damaged beyond repair. And she would be shunned by everyone in the community. What would her parents think and how would they treat her? What would Joseph think, and, and how would he treat her? What would Mary's relationship with Joseph and her family be from here on out? Mary could no longer think of a, a normal, typical family life with Joseph and the kids. And if Joseph hangs in there with her, they're still going to raise the Son of God, the Messiah. And even though Mary had faith and was determined to entrust herself fully to God and to obey Him, she had a tough road ahead. At this point, she didn't even realize the full extent that when Mary and Joseph would take the baby Jesus to the temple on, on the eighth day after His birth, that the aged Simeon would take the baby in his arms and would prophesy that a sword would pierce Mary's soul. This was a prophetic reference to how she would feel when she saw her son Jesus hanging on the cross. 
Mary didn't know that Herod would try to kill the baby right after he was born. And they'd have to flee to Egypt and be in exile until Herod died. They'd be refugees in a foreign land. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows that it is impossible without him and that all things are possible with him. And he gives blessed confirmation along the way. So the angel Gabriel reassured Mary. If you have your Bible handy, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. The 34th verse of the first chapter of Luke. And after receiving the good news, Luke writes in verse 34 of chapter 1, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Be called the Son of God. Now notice how Gabriel now reassures Mary. Basically says, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is also miraculously with child. Verse 36. And he says, Behold, even your relative or cousin, that can be translated cousin, Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. This whole thing is going to be hard for Mary. But God, with whom nothing is impossible, is going to be in it. He will confirm it. And along the way, he is going to give confirmation and assurance to Mary's humble obedience. Along with the greatest task that takes the most determined obedience comes the greatest joy and the greatest assurance and confirmation that this is of God and that he will perform it. And so in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, we see the joy of blessed confirmation. Verse 39, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah. Mary could hardly wait to go see Elizabeth, to see what was going on with this miraculous baby that, uh, that Elizabeth was going to have. And Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea in a little town called Ein Karim. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Today, it's a suburb of Jerusalem. It's encompassed in the city of Jerusalem. And in fact, uh, the Biblical Resource Center, uh, which is a really neat place to visit, is in Ein Karim. It would have been about a 120-mile journey from Nazareth to Ein Karim. And it was about the same distance from Nazareth to Ein Karim that it was to Bethlehem. In fact, you'd travel to Jerusalem. When you got to Jerusalem to get to Ein Karim, you'd go about five miles further south. But if you wanted to go to Bethlehem, you'd hang a left and go at Jerusalem and go about six miles. Both towns are in the hill country of Judea. Now, we're not given the details of how the young woman traveled, how she got there on that, that far journey for those days, or what she told her parents before she left. But she left, in immediate, she left immediately in a hurry to go to the hill country of Judah and could not wait to see Elizabeth and to see for herself concerning the news about her. You see, the Lord knew that Mary needed someone who fully understood what she was going through. We all need someone like that. And as Mary hurried along as best she could on that several-day journey, 
She would have thought deeply about her and Elizabeth's destinies that have crossed paths in this way. Mary wouldn't have known at the time that Elizabeth was going to bear the son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah who would prepare the way. All she knew was that the angel said that Elizabeth was pregnant. And not only was it a sign to confirm what God had said and done, but if anybody would understand, it would be Elizabeth. Verse 40. And Mary entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Talk about confirmation. The angel had told Zacharias that his son John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while even in his mother's womb. And the sense here is that even before Elizabeth could extend a greeting to Mary, the Holy Spirit-filled boy in the womb leaped for joy in the presence of his Savior, who was still unborn. The word translated leaped means to skip. It's used of sheep, lambs who leap and skip in the pasture. Now, us guys, we probably don't have any idea what that really feels like, but I think moms know what that probably felt like. Verse 42, And Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Here's the wonderful thing. When it comes to this unborn baby's leap for joy, John, the fetus, was an emotional being while still in his mother's womb. He had the capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is incontrovertible testimony to the pre-birth personhood of John the Baptist. John at this time in the womb would have been about nine inches long. He would have looked like a newborn. He would have weighed about one and a half pounds. His skin would have been translucent. He'd already be opening his eyes and staring into the dark safety of his mother's womb. He had fingerprints and toe prints. And this really is a sobering thought for anyone who countenances abortion. Plus, this is John's first prophetic act as the forerunner of the Messiah. Six months along in the womb, he's already doing what God had called him to do. He announces the coming of the Messiah. And 30 years later, when John would see Jesus walking along, he would announce, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here John leaps for joy in his mother's womb. This really is John's first prophecy. By way of the Holy Spirit, the unborn John knows and experiences that he is in the presence of the Son of God and announces that he is in the presence of the Son of God. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And here's the wondrous confirmation that Mary needs. Verse 42 where Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You see, Mary, as she came to Elizabeth, was not even close to showing that she was pregnant yet. And Mary would have fully understood that only the Holy Spirit of God could have revealed this to Elizabeth. It was clear confirmation for Mary of what Gabriel had told her. Not only what the angel had said 
about Elizabeth, for Elizabeth was clearly with child, as the angel had said, but Elizabeth, without any physical evidence whatsoever, knew that Mary was pregnant. She even knew by way of the Holy Spirit who the child is that Mary, who Mary was to bear. And so Elizabeth cries out with a loud voice in verse 43, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Mary's heart must have been elevated. Think about that. The angel comes. She immediately goes to visit uh, Elizabeth. It's a several-day journey. And as soon as she gets here, think of that must have what had done for her heart. Here was her cousin Elizabeth, who without any explanation, without any conversation whatsoever, understood Mary's secret and celebrated it by pronouncing a double blessing unto Mary. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary concludes her cries with a formal beatitude in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by her Lord. As I think about this, and if Zacharias was standing there, he probably was. He was there with Elizabeth. This would have been one of those ouch moments for Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband. When Mary came into the house, Zacharias was probably there as well. Remember, in the temple, six months before this, Zacharias did not believe the angel. He did not believe the fulfillment of what had been spoken to him by the Lord. So Zacharias had been struck mute. He couldn't talk on account of his unbelief. He had six months where he couldn't talk, probably couldn't hear either, to think about, to get into God's word, what it means to not believe the promises of God. He knew what it was like to experience the curse of God on account of his unbelief. And standing next to Elizabeth, he would hear her cry out, Blessed is she who did believe that there'd be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her by the Lord. I can almost hear Elizabeth saying to her husband, See, Zacharias, this is what I've been trying to tell you these last six months. Oy vey, Zacharias, do you understand now? Do you understand now? I want us to think about Mary's faith here for a little while. To get a hold of the kind of faith that is required, the kind of faith for which God gives assurance and confirmation. We must understand that faith is more than intellectual belief. Faith is belief plus trust. Faith is believing, but it also has trust. First, there's belief. Mary intellectually believed what Gabriel had told her. She believed with her mind the word of God as Gabriel brought it to her. Mary believed that the virgin birth was possible, that it would happen. She did not doubt for a moment. But lots of people make mental assent to the word of God. They'll even go so far as they believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. They believe the deity of Christ. They believe that the Bible is God's word. And they even believe that they are sinners and that their only hope is in Christ. But then they go on to live hopeless lives without seeing Christ work in their lives. And they lack assurance and confirmation. Why is that? Because the question is, have they put their trust in what they believe. Have they put their trust in what they believe? Faith is belief plus trust. You see, faith also requires trust. 
Mary did not doubt, but she also trusted her whole life to God's promise. She said, may it be done to me according to your word. Mary trusted her whole life to this. There was none of this, well, let's see how this goes. And at the first sight of difficulty, I'm going to see if this thing doesn't work out, if it really gets tough, or, or I, I, maybe I made a wrong decision here. We'll, we'll just give this Christian thing, or we'll take this Christian thing one step at a time. We'll give it a whirl. Besides, I believe the right stuff. I don't have to trust in it, do I? Right? But the question is this. If you believe, if you give mental assent to it, have you trusted in Christ alone? Have you rested everything on him for your salvation and for your life? Do you believe that you are a sinner and that your only hope is in Christ? Have you come to put your complete confidence and trust in him? Saving faith is belief plus trust. Let me give you a simple illustration that I've used over the years. Probably right now, most of you are sitting in a chair. It might be your favorite chair, your most comfortable chair. If you are listening to the podcast, you might be driving in a car, sitting in a, a car, in a, in a seat in a car, or, or doing something else around the house. You might be standing around the house or doing something. But uh, think of your favorite chair, the one that you like to sit in. The one is the most comfortable to you. Now, you can believe that this is a chair. You can believe that the chair will hold you up if you sit in it. You can trust it, or you can believe in it. But that's not saving faith. It becomes saving faith when you fully trust that chair, and by sitting down, you put your full weight on it, knowing that it's going to support you. You can trust it. You see, when you fully rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross and put your full life in him for the rest of your life, that is saving faith. That is saving faith. And saving faith produces a remarkable passivity. It produces a wonderful negation of all activity to save yourself. Mary fully submitted to God. May it be done to me according to your word. You see, saving faith produces a calm reliance. You stop seeking God's approval or, or response to his works. You, you stop trying to impress God with the good things you do and, and a hapless attempt to try to make up for the bad things. You fully trust in God. And you stop trying to do things and say, well, maybe God will approve of me or for this or that or whatever I do. Faith produces a calm reliance. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we have these words of assurance. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mary was able to fully rest both on the word and the promises of God and on the works of God to accomplish his good pleasure. And God gave her full assurance and confirmation that she could fully rely on God in all things. And out of her passivity sprang an energized activity. There is activity in, in the Christian life. She immediately and without question 
obeyed God's word. She went to the hill country of Judah. She exhibited a faith that works, and it resulted in a life of humble service and discipleship where she, through Christ, she was able to trust God and fully rely on him. Mary, the mother of Jesus, even at a young age, modeled faith for the rest of us as believers in Jesus Christ. She exhibited faith that realized the birth of Christ in her life and fostered her discipleship. Let me put it this way. Saving faith is belief plus trust that issues in a proper passivity, leading to a total dependence upon Christ and then flaming into activity and producing a life of service. Let me repeat that. Saving faith is belief plus trust that issues in a proper passivity leading to a total dependence on Christ and then flaming into activity and producing a life of service. That's what Mary models for us. But wait, there is more. We're not done yet. We're begging the question here as to why so many who claim to faith lack assurance and lack this confirmation. Where is the assurance? Where is the confirmation that we all need? Why are so so few Christians really in our culture willing to obey Christ, willing to pay the cost of discipleship? Why do so many seem to cut and run so easily? The answer to God's care for Mary is giving her Elizabeth. She gave her Elizabeth. Young Mary could share what Gabriel had told her, but she could not expect others to fully understand or articulate the mystery until she went to see Elizabeth. You see, God had prepared Elizabeth by her priestly husband's dramatic experience with Gabriel. And during that six months before Mary's arrival, Elizabeth wasn't even know, wouldn't even know that Mary would be coming. But Zacharias had no doubt, even though he couldn't speak, he had been searching the scriptures. He had been writing down what he wanted to communicate with Elizabeth. They'd been talking about this together, either by writing down or, or reading the word together. And their isolation and their seclusion in the hill country would have fostered their meditation and study of God's word. Mary's or Elizabeth's profound belief of what happened in Mary's womb her double blessing of Mary, her acknowledgement that Mary was carrying the Lord, the Savior of the world, her beatitude regarding Mary's faith, her filling by the Holy Spirit of God, all of this was a tender balm and confirmation to Mary's soul and faith. You see, Mary, or God had given Mary a godly, mature woman as her closest friend and confidant during this informative and formative time in her life. Elizabeth had secluded herself in her home for five months without going out and telling anyone else that she was pregnant. During this time, she and Zacharias found personal confirmation in God's word. As they studied God's word together, they learned who their child was to be. They learned that he, what he was going to do in preparing the way for the promised Messiah in other words, we find confirmation and assurance in God's word. 
confirmation along the way of the Christian life comes from our time spent alone with God. It comes from our time in his word and in prayer. It comes out of a deep-seated faith and trust in God that is born out of a personal, intimate, loving relationship with God, our creator and sustainer. But God was also preparing Elizabeth to be just whom Mary needed, a kindred spirit, a godly woman who understood and could minister to Mary and be used of God for blessed confirmation. I want to close by briefly drawing out three applications out of our text that that answer the questions that we started with. How do you know that you're really doing what God wants you to do? How do you know you are where he wants you to be? You come across a time where you have to make a decision and you have to take the path and you want it to be the right path and you want to do the right thing. You want to do what what God wants you to do and, and you want to know that confirmation and affirmation and, and the presence of God and, and all that you say and do during this time. So let me briefly give you three ways that you can confirm that you are on the right track. First of all, Confirm it with the word of God. Get into God's word. You see, God will never contradict his word. He won't tell you to do something that's in violation of his word or contradicts his word, contradicts the Holy Scriptures. Mary said, may it be done to me according to your word. And it's clear that Elizabeth and Zacharias spent months in the word which God used to not only confirm God's will for their own lives, but their knowledge of Scripture was used to bring confirmation to Mary as well. So do your best to always counter-check what you hear or what you receive with what God said in His Word before you obey it. Secondly, confirm it with what others are saying. Confirm it with what others are saying. Confirmation for Mary came directly from the lips in the testimony of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a gift of God to help Mary. Now, there were were a lot of people who would have thought that both Mary and Elizabeth were totally nuts at this time. But as we seek God's will today, we must seek the affirmation of others who are godly and mature in the faith. God's will for your life will not be popular with everybody you know. Whenever you make a decision for Christ, there are going to be people that are always going to criticize you or think you're doing the wrong thing because you're following Christ and you're just a religious nut or whatever it is. I'm not talking about that. What I am saying is that God strategically places people in our lives. God strategically places people in our lives to help us see our own blind spots and confirm God's word to us. So in other words, if people that you trust spiritually, if people that you trust because of their walk with God and their knowledge of God's word and their spiritual life, if those people are shaking their heads over what you are doing, there's a strong chance you're attempting to move outside of God's will. God confirms his will through fellow Christ followers, through people like Elizabeth. And if there's an obvious lack of such people like that, reconsider your direction. Listen to what other godly people are telling you. That is where you get confirmation. And finally, confirm it with the peace that comes from the Lord. Confirm it with the peace that comes from the Lord. When the Lord gives a message, he gives peace with it. 
No, it's not the peace that means there's an absence of trouble or chaos. We live in a world of chaos right now. It doesn't mean that there's that kind of peace. There's an absence of, of that. Rather, it's a peace that you can sense even in the midst of troubles and chaos. It's the peace that passes all understanding. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray to the Lord for confirmation. And when there is no peace, you can be sure that it's not from Him. Mary had that special peace where she could say, May it be done to me according to your word. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, in this world of chaos and trouble and division and polarization and everything that characterizes the world and the day and the time in which we live, Father, we thank you that we can have that peace that passes all understanding that our Savior said to us, peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Father, I pray for your peace upon each one of our lives and each one of our hearts this day. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.